Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Livia's Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bradkoff, and today I have a returning guest, one of my closest friends in the education field and uh, co-worker, Christy Davin. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, and we've got a great topic today. Uh, it's actually a follow-up on an episode that Christy and I did a couple of weeks ago, almost months ago now. Uh, and this episode is, you've gotten to college, now what? And when we talked previously about this, it was... Um, how you could, well, to be frank, mess it up. You know, why you don't want to take senior year off. It was all about senioritis, uh, senior year slump. And so we're going to flip it on its head and talk about all the things you can do to prepare for beginning your freshman year now that you've been accepted into college and you've chosen which college you want to go to. So before I jump into uh, any stories, Christy, do you, uh, any things, that you, questions or thoughts that on your mind about this topic? Because I know uh, this is something that you said you were a little excited about, so I wanted to throw it to you right away if you were interested. Sure, thank you. Um, I do have a harrowing story of my own to share, but um, <laughs> one of my questions is, uh, I'm relying on your expertise because I don't have kids in college right now, mm-hmm. and it's been a couple of years since I went to my own uh, orientation and first day of college. So what I'm interested in finding out is what the opportunities are to students and families um, and maybe where the line is between what the students can do and when mom and dad need to sort of back off and let the kid do it themselves. Um, the opportunities for getting to know the campus, for meeting people, for understanding you know, how the whole thing works, um, what colleges offer. And I know it'll vary by campus, but... Right. Well, the good news is, is that uh, after doing extensive research, uh, we're talking to recent college graduates, um, talking to friends and colleagues and coworkers who are college admissions officers, or former college admissions officers and or college counselors currently. Uh, the good news is, is that the orientation process for most colleges still resembles what we went through back in the day. There is that uh, two to four day, uh, very beginning of the school year, uh, program for incoming freshmen and incoming transfer students uh, before the upperclassmen arrive. There's icebreakers and games and seminars and then there there's uh, just as I had back when I was a college student, information on college and campus safety and um, things of that nature um, and a lot of stuff that, that parents went through back in the day. So there is that that very stereotypical uh, movie scene of all the parents driving up and dropping off their kids at the various dorms and and cases and 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 and, and baggage and, and and suitcases and boxes full of knickknacks and accessories and sheets and the trunk that doubled as a coffee table. Yeah, that that still happens. That's the same thing. Like that's one of the joys of uh, college is that you know, I've seen pictures. Uh, actually, interesting. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, history buff. I'm a history teacher, and I, I have seen pictures of uh, Teddy Roosevelt getting dropped off at Harvard by his parents, and you know, like photograph. Not to not daguerreotypes. It's not that old. It's not the Civil War. I mean, he went to college in the 1880s, and it's a, the pictures look very similar. Uh, obviously, the men are dressed up, like the, the freshmen are dressed up in little suits. Uh, with top hats, and they're like 18-year-olds with top hats. It's hilarious. Um, but there's trunks and baggage and, and horse and buggies instead of cars. It's been the same for 150 years, mm-hmm. and that's still the same. And so that whole drop off the kids, give them a kiss, and, and, and drive home is the same experience for parents as it was 
when we were kids, when our parents went to college, and going back as far as uh, photography exists. Now, I also know that um, my experience becoming a freshman is I was assigned a roommate mm -hmm. and given a phone number and a mailing address. So right. over the summer, I could connect. Her name was Sheila. I could connect with Sheila and sort of break the ice by phone or send a letter with a stamp on it. Um, I know that the, the technology, of course, has come a long way, right. and um, roommates sort of have the opportunity to n learn about each other earlier than we did. But um, my question is, yeah. um, I have a feeling we must have talked about it, but my stepfather was all about building me a loft. He really wanted, he was a love to build things. Hmm. So we came with lumber oh, really? and tools, and he spent half the day building a loft to get the beds off the ground huh. and put the desks underneath and wow so one of the things about we have not talked about this no this is something that oh. you and i have not talked wow. about but um so I, I guess one of the things that comes to my mind is uh, and again my apologies i'm older my memory isn't what it used to be but <laughs> i don't remember having breached this topic with sheila ahead of time we must have but i can't imagine i, I don't remember her response so one of the things um, that I think would be valuable in talking about as you prepare for that first day is connecting with your roommate about expectations. You know, that's interesting because in my experiences, I, I met my roommates. I, I had a triple freshman year. I met them day of. I, I had no contact with them in advance. I was not given contact information, a phone number, address, anything. That didn't happen for me. Um, and I had a horrible experience actually freshman year uh, because one of my roommates was a smoker and the building was not a non-smoking building. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, and, and I had actually put in a request for a non-smoker, but it just didn't work out. And so, yeah, so I don't know about that. I, not, never in my experience was I able to communicate with my roommate uh, if I was randomly assigned a person before I met them when we moved in together. I think that really varies from school to school, I think. The reason why that happened for you was because you went to Denison, and that just was not an experience for me. So that's interesting. And, and, and interestingly enough, in my conversations with people, that hasn't come up. Interesting. Yeah. So because I don't know. I, I would think about, you know, especially with technology the way it is now. Yeah. Um, you have the opportunity to connect early. Right. And so I think it would be wise before the family loads the lumber into the station right. wagon, which of course doesn't exist anymore, but that's the way we did it. It was the, the SUV the, for you millennials. The, the 1983 <laughs> Caprice Classic or whatever yeah. it was with all the lumber sticking out the back window um, to come and sort of usurp how this room was going to be functioning wow. for the entire school year. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's obviously not something that has come up, come up in the conversations that you've had, but as a parent, as a person, I would suggest strongly to connect with your roommates before you make any grand decisions that are going to affect everybody in the room or the suite. I agree completely. I mean, uh, I know that if I showed up to my, my dorm room freshman or sophomore years, the two years that I had randomly assigned roommates, uh, and that person showed up with lumber and, and, and a dad or stepdad with a, with a tool belt on, I would have been surprised. I would have been surprised. That, that was not what I was expecting. So Some people would be excited about it. Some people, not so much. Some, not so much. Maybe I, if you've got I a height think, problem. I think I would fall under uh, not so much. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so I don't know. I and mean, that's a good point. I mean, I think it varies from school to school whether they they allow you to connect with your roommate beforehand. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is that stereotypical movie or TV moment where in movies about or TV shows about the freshman high, college experience, uh, the roommates meet for the first time, or the roommates already one roommate's already set up everything, per, and the other roommate shows up, and they don't they don't get the side of the room they want, or right. there's a, there's conflict immediately. So the stereotype I think is that. Most colleges do not connect you beforehand. Interesting. So I don't know. That's a good point. I'm glad we did this conversation because I was not prepared for that question. So that's actually great that you brought it up. Didn't mean to throw you a curveball. We'll have no, to do it, some research and do a follow-up episode. It's good because I, I have a lot of, as you put it, uh, horror stories about this whole like starting freshman year thing. Uh, and some of the things we've talked about before and some we have not. Um, so when I started, uh, and as I've talked about on the podcast before, my freshman year, my true freshman year, I went to a state school because I uh, earned a full scholarship and the National Merit Scholarship. So I went to a state school in my home state of New Jersey for a year, and I actually was paid by my college $1,000 each semester to go there. I was refunded $1,000 because of my scholarships to go there, which was great, except I didn't love it there, and I ended up transferring to Brandeis, which I did love, but cost a lot more money. Um, so my freshman year was at Montclair State College, now Montclair State University. And as I said, I had a triple. It was an unnatural triple. And because I was the second of the three roommates who showed up, I got a bed. I didn't get the cot. But when the two other roommates, the smoker and the football player, decided that they were bro- had a big bromance uh, and wanted me to leave, they kicked me to the cot. They basically said, since you, we want you to leave, and I was like, I'm happy to leave because I don't want to be with a smoker. Uh, they're like, well, then we want you to have the cot for, until you get a new room. So that was kind of like what I was not prepared for. I was not prepared for a room with a cot in it uh, as a third bed in an unnatural triple. Wow. So it's crowded anyway because it's meant to be a double. Right. It's so a dorm room. It's not, it's not the palace. Well, there know? are a lot of colleges that are doing that, right? They're kind of over, it's like overselling an airplane flight. They, they, they right. cram more beds in than the building was naturally built for. Right, and they're expecting a couple of different things. They're expecting uh, upperclassmen to move off campus at a certain rate, mm-hmm. and if fewer do, then they need those rooms for upperclassmen. So freshmen get kind of jammed into rooms. Some colleges have a Greek system. And uh, many of the uh, fraternities and sororities have their own houses on or off campus, depending on the school and their relationship with the Greek system. And so they're expecting some of the freshmen to move out into the Greek housing. So there's a lot of reasons why colleges do unnatural triples at the beginning of the school year. Do they also send out more acceptances than maybe they can that they should no. if they've got a thousand spaces they send no. out 1200 acceptances they do they- do that colleges do that if a school has a thousand freshman seats they will send out 1200 acceptances but only because they expect a certain number of students who have applied to multiple colleges and universities and gotten into multiple colleges and universities to choose one right. like if a school a student applies to 10 schools and gets into all 10 they're not going to 10 schools they're only going to one so they're going to tell nine schools that have accepted them no thank you so so they expect of those, say, 12, and this is all theoretical numbers. This isn't like a real right. school we're talking about. Um, 1,200 acceptances, they expect 1,000 to matriculate. And it's only when, and again, we've talked about this briefly in other uh, episodes, if 990 matriculate, that's when they dip into the waiting list to get it up to 1,000. So they never accept more than uh, who can get in. Um, and then the thing is, if they accept 1,000 freshmen, They'll, they have a thousand beds, but some of those beds are taken up by other by students, upperclassmen who they didn't expect to be living on campus. 
Okay. Or in the dorms. So there's only so much um, speculating, you know, it, it's like... It's a numbers game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, th so that's one of the things you should be prepared for um, is that they... That numbers might not have worked out the way they expected. There might be unnatural triples or singles that are posing as doubles mm -hmm. because they have more students using the dorms than they expected at the beginning of the school year. It almost always shakes itself out. I have never heard of an unnatural triple in a double room or an unnatural double in a single room staying that way for the whole school year. Students, like for example, for me, by uh, November 1st, so it was about two months, uh, and, and I was living in the cot the last week. Um, by two months, an upperclassman had moved out of a dorm room two floors up from me in the same building, and that room opened up, so I got first crack at it because I was the one who requested to move, and it turned out to be way better for me. The person I moved in with was an upperclassman and a neat freak, so the room, and he was like a Zen Buddhist artist. He was he was a he was an, uh, a painting student. He was an art major, and his room was m meticulous when I moved in. And so the second thing I want to talk about is the second horror story. But uh, when I moved in with him, I had a phone. Um, this is back in the day when everything was landlines. Um, cell phones technically existed, but no one had them, unless you were super rich. Uh, Wall Street types, in the movies especially. And I had a phone, so he traded phone access for access to his television. So he had a TV in the room. So it was like the best of all worlds. Mm -hmm. um, so I moved out of uh, the triple. I moved up two floors uh, and had a much better experience. Um, the, uh, so horror story number two uh, is that, uh, and I think we've talked about this before, but I got a, a phone uh, because, you know, I wanted to have a phone. It was the first bill I ever had, so I wanted to, and I had to put down a deposit of like $150 to get this phone line because it was not with the school. Because we, when we had talked about this in the previous episode, we had talked about, you know, the good thing about living on campuses, mm -hmm. getting your first bills and building mm -hmm. up your credit and all that good stuff. But this was my first bill. It was my first, like, Bill Ab was going to pay, and so I, I had to put down a $150 deposit with New Jersey Bell, which doesn't exist anymore. It's now called Verizon. And uh, I had to put down a $150 deposit to get this phone line. And I eventually got it back, luckily. But I got this phone line, and I had the phone, and my two roommates um, negotiated access to it, and we worked out how much they would pay me. And the first month, the football player, um, turns out he had multiple girlfriends and ran up a $200 plus phone bill in that first month um, and argued with me about it for days until he finally handed me a check. And that wasn't something that, I mean, again, not as big a deal nowadays because everybody's going to probably show up with cell phones. Mm -hmm. And I don't expect a lot of rooms to have um, hardwired phones or even hardwired computers. It's all going to be Wi-Fi. But sharing anything with a relative stranger is something you don't expect. Well, and maybe this can also go under an addendum to that other episode we did about how college life is a great learning opportunity, mm -hmm. um, academics notwithstanding, because you do have to learn how to share. You have to learn how to compromise. You have right. to learn how to negotiate and mediate your own conflicts in a small space. Dorm rooms, I think, are getting smaller, and as you said, sometimes mm -hmm. there are more people in there than there should be. Yes. Um, and so whether it's access to the bathroom, if you've got mm -hmm. a suite with a with a dedicated bathroom, mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, where the laundry pile goes, or yeah. um, for those people who did not share a room with a sibling right. as they were growing, um, this is going to be their first uh, sort of experience with yeah. that. But 
Um, I want to get back, unless you have something else to add to that, I want to get back to where you started before I took you off track, which was the resources and the learning opportunities and the and sort of the orientation of the whole process. Sure. Okay, let's go back to freshman orientation then, um, rather than the dorm rooms, because I do want to talk more about the dorm rooms going forward, because I have, I have so many beautiful horror stories about dorm <laughs> I living. I one or two. Yeah, but I mean, again, I enjoyed it, but you know, you got to be prepared. Like, I'm trying to set you up for what to expect, like how to better prepare yourself. So freshman orientation... Uh, is a powerful experience, actually. And I, I did not have an amazing experience going to the state school, but when I transferred to Brandeis, um, I think I had a much more useful experience. Uh, the freshman class was a lot smaller because Brandeis is a private university as opposed to a large state mm-hmm. college university. And in addition to icebreakers and uh, get-to-know-you games and, and, and the... The kids running the the events were uh, students at the school with you know who were hired by the admissions department under the supervision of admissions officers to do this. And the situation is pretty much the same nowadays. But the thing that stands out the most to me beyond all of that, beyond the social aspects, and I did make a lot of friends who were my friends for the rest of my college career and beyond. There, one of the biggest and most impactful moments of freshman orientation uh, was started out what seemed like an icebreaker game, but that wasn't what it was. What it was is we were asked to walk around the room and shake a certain number of hands and and write down some bit of information about the students we were shaking hands with while we were walking around. So we had a piece of paper, we had a pen or pencil, and we had a specific set of questions we had to ask. We had to shake a person's hand, ask them some questions, and write down their responses, and do a certain number in the amount of time we were given. And at the end of the thing, we all did this, and we're like, okay, now what does this mean? What do we do now? And they're like, did anybody notice Jenny going missing? And we're like, what do you mean? Well, one of the students, Jenny, uh, was abducted from the room while this exercise was going on. She was taken. And it turns out that uh, they pulled her aside, asked her to participate in this, and they abducted her. And I'm using my bunny ears, my little you know air quotes. They abducted her and basically to show that at a social event, at a party, um, if you're not paying attention, something untoward could happen to a, a peer, a friend. And they're like the response. What they were telling us was, you're at freshman orientation. The lights are on. You're in a giant ballroom in the student center. It's bright. Everyone's wearing bright clothing. It's the middle of the day. No one has been drinking, and not one of you noticed a student getting abducted. And so this is what we want you to take away with this, which is be aware of your surroundings. A lot of the events you're going to go to are off campus. That Not everybody you're going to meet is a reputable person. And so it was this kind of like, like basically it was rape prevention seminar that they didn't tell us was a rape prevention seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they said it, it didn't have to be a woman, it could be a, a guy, it could be anybody, but be aware of your surroundings. When you go someplace with friends, keep track of your friends. Like, you know, you're adults now and you're going to be going into spaces that when you were kids, you wouldn't have gone into. So you're, you're, and your parents aren't there and adult authority figures aren't there because you're the adult authority figures now. You're adults. So that was one of the most powerful and uh, memorable moments of my freshman orientation. And I don't know if other schools do this, but I was really grateful that they did. We had a lot of um, resources, but it wasn't an aha, you know, event like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my orientation was most around, mostly, you know, here, have a brownie, sing a song. It was like getting to camp for the first day. You know, here's right. some swag. You get your lanyard and your big cup 
that you mm-hmm. fill with Diet Coke on the way to every class while you're late. The um, cheesy orientation t-shirts. The cheesy orientation t-shirts. And if you're lucky, your parents stick around long enough to take you to the bookstore and buy you more swag, sweatshirt, right. a baseball hat, and a right. pennant for your wall, and, and all of those things. Yeah, and I remember all of that as being part of orientation. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think the... One of the things, and I don't, I don't know where we are in time, but one of the things I do want to talk about is, as a parent, the importance. Um, you know, I've done some podcasts and videos that are on our YouTube page about the parent perspective and a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about the parent perspective when applying to colleges and taking tours of college, right? And how the parents need to empower the kids to make their own decisions and to lead the way. And sometimes the parent can follow, and sometimes the parent needs to back off and go get a cup of coffee, right? So the kid can go and explore on their own. Um, but I think that there's a piece of that here, too. Okay. Where the parents, um, not necessarily, they don't all have to be helicopter parents. You, <laughs> can, you can be a very healthy, empowering parent. But this day is bound to be difficult. Right. And so um, I'm whether or not these are students listening or whether they're parents listening, I'm thinking that we can be helpful in helping to give some of these, what signs to look for, that it's time for the parent to back off and to maybe hit the road. You know, for me, it's, depending on how far away school is, like if if you live in New England and you're driving your kid to Boston. Or Ohio. No, no, I'm saying like if you're local, if you're in New England and you're you're driving your kid to Boston and you could drive in, so you don't have to get a room. You don't have to get a place to stay. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit different. But if you're, if, again, if you're from New England and you're driving your kid to Ohio, where I'm from New Jersey, and my parents drove me up to Brandeis, which is uh, in a little city called Waltham, which is just west of um, Boston, my parents got, got a room at a, at a hotel mm-hmm. for the night. So the big thing is, is don't overstay your welcome, but be there long enough to do that last visit to the campus, that visit to the bookstore, getting the swag, getting the parents swag. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, take that moment. Be prideful, if, especially if you're really proud of the school that your child is attending. Get that bumper sticker. Get that, you know, sweatshirt uh, for yourself and get some swag for the kid. Set them up for success for the school year. Like, you know, like college couture is, you know, jeans and sweatshirts and sweatpants and, and, and hoodies. Get some of that stuff for the kid so that they're, they're, they're geared up. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree with you. Uh, stay the day, and then the next day, hugs and kisses, and go. Because if they're going to be involved in freshman orientation activities, don't don't hang around. You know, like let them experience the the the, the cafeteria or the other dining halls on campus. Let them get into that. Let them get used to it. Um, they're even if your child is seventeen and going to college. Because when I started freshman, my birthday was in the fall. And the school system that I grew up in, I would graduate high school at 17. I started college at 17. I didn't turn 18 until October of my freshman year. Um, so technically, I'm not an adult yet, but but I'm in college. I have to take care of things like you know going to the registrar or going to um, the financial aid office and dealing with that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that prep work has to happen during high school, helping your child get a bank account, learning how to use an ATM. Um, and knowing how to maintain a positive balance on that. Um, knowing how to make their own sheets, how to do their own laundry. Those are the things you can do to set up your kid for success. So you can give them that big hug and kiss, have that tearful goodbye, and then hit the road. Yeah, and I think if you're the mom and dad or whatever parents and guardians are dropping the kids off, if you look around and you're the only people above the age of 18... Well, 22. Or 20, well, <laughs> the, 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 the freshman class... And, and in the, the dorm, and, and they're the, settling in. And the kids in. who are, uh, upper-class kids who are running orientation. Right, and if you're the only one still there, 
or even you've, if you're only one of a handful. You've but oversaved your wallet. Yeah. You, you need to be self-aware, I think, because as parents, yeah. I mean, I dropped my son off to the five-week program at Berklee College of Music, mm-hmm. which was a great experience for him. He was younger. Um, it was an underclassman program. And I was acutely aware. Um, the minute it turned and his roommate had arrived and all of a sudden I'm being mom, like, and I start making his bed and I said, whoa, okay, yeah, yeah. I have to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's so ingrained in some of us yeah. to just, you know, to help and to be excited for them and you want to be part of that, but it's theirs. It's their time. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yes, I agree completely with that. Uh, but also one thing I think is um, a big change from when we were in college is uh, parent-college uh, student communication. Uh, when I was in college, in order to talk to my parent, I had my phone. Or when I went off to Brandeis, I didn't have a phone in my room because that wasn't an option at first. And so it's the phone, it's the pay phone in the hallway. Um, in fact, kids uh, and, and college students and, and even some younger adults uh, might have to look this up and see it in a movie to even know what we're talking about. But, you know, in dorm rooms from the 50s through the 90s, uh, most floors had a payphone, a public payphone. You dropped little coins in and called somebody, and that's how you communicated with your parents. And my sophomore year, I didn't, in my junior year, I didn't have a phone in my dorm room because of the dorms I was in. But now you just hop on your, your, your iPhone or whatever and you text mom, hey mom, things are going well. So I think that sort of communication, those sort of concerns and worries uh, have been offset a little bit about by modern technology. I think mm-hmm. that's one big difference that's actually in the favor of younger students these days. Or well, students these days, I should say. You could also, to play the devil's advocate, it actually is a favor, but it's also a disservice. Because when you're in Ohio, for instance, and it costs 35 cents a minute to call home, and you don't have email, right? Um, you learn. Yeah. You learn the hard way. Yeah, I didn't get and email until my senior year. You can't text mom at a yeah. moment's notice or dad or your aunt or your grandmother, and um, you are forced to handle right. your own problems. You're forced to advocate for yourself socially right. and academically. And I think that I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And, again, parent perspective is, is where I'm coming from right now, that you know parents should let their kids fall on their face a little bit while they're out there. And, right, but and I was just talking about like my mom, who was you know a helicoptery Jewish mom, was like, "Call me every week at exactly this time, or I'll think you're dead and I'll drive out there." Yeah, I mean that was that was literally the communication I received from my mother. If I don't hear from you every Sunday at a certain time, Monday I'm driving up there. So it was like here I can just text you know mom anytime. Hey, just got out of class, getting a bite. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. things are going great. I think that's a, a big difference. When I said a few minutes ago that I just I didn't get my first email address until I was a senior, that's because the school got a new email system that was available to students who were not computer science majors. And all the students finally received an email address. It didn't matter, though, because my parents didn't have email addresses. My dad didn't get an email address uh, until well after the year 2000. And oh, yeah. I was the one who helped him set it up. I didn't have one in college. So I was already an adult. I'd already finished grad school by then. Um, so I, there was no emailing my father until, you know, I was almost 30 years old. Mm. So, you know, that, that I think is a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, Facebook and, 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 and Snapchat and Instagram and all these things where parents and students can communicate beyond phone, text, and email even. So I think that's a big difference. You know what? There's so much in this topic. I think we're going to have to do another episode on this. I'm going to stop for now, and we're going to come back to this, Christy. I'd be happy to. This. All right. So thank you so much for being on. My pleasure. 
And thank you for those of you listening at home. Uh, look out for part two of this topic because there's so much more to talk about freshman year and orientation that we haven't even gotten to. So uh, if you like this episode, remember to star, heart, fave, thumb up, whatever your podcast listening uh, app of choice lets you do. Please hit that share sheet. Share this with your friends, family, colleagues, coworkers. Especially share it with your enemies to show off how smart you are. And of course, subscribe. Let people know. Let us know that you you want to you love us by subscribing so you can get these episodes downloaded to your phone or computer or whatever as soon as they drop. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can hit us up on our Twitter feed at Livius Pod. Ask us questions. We're, I think we might even do a, um, whether I think it's on Facebook we're going to do this, we might do a survey on um, one of the things that Christy brought up, which is uh, have you, were, if, if you were a college student or were a college student in the last you know, anytime, did your college give you your roommate's uh, contact information before you started freshman orientation? I would say no. Christy would say yes. Uh, so uh, we're, we're hopefully going to post that soon. I'll, I'll try and follow up on that. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's keep learning.